Hey, is this heaven? No, it's the stoop, and it's Monday night, <laughs> and here we are on Blog Talk Radio, who still sucks, by the way. I am your host, Jonathan Ragus, and it's going to be a great, great, great night, because alongside me is my buddy Jeff Perini. What's going on, man? Hey, man. It's good to be here. Um, we are beer-free for next two weeks as we take antibiotics. So no fancy beer talk, but uh, let's get better. Let's get this garbage out of our system here, and uh, let's feel better. Because the clap is a terrible thing to have, and we are sorry, Jeff. I hope those antibiotics work for you. We can get you back out on the scene and get those beers flowing through your system, my friend. That's what I'm talking about. That's That's what I'm talking about. It's funny when you start off with the, um, are we in heaven? And we'll keep that an inside joke because I saw that comment somewhere else. <laughs> <ago. laughs> oh, man. <laughs> uh, next top five list, our favorite movie quotes. Okay. I like that. I think that'd be fun, man. That'll be a lot of fun. But anyway, welcome everybody to the stoop. Uh, glad you could be here. It's going to be a great, great show. First, uh, I want to thank uh, last, uh, last Thursday's guest. Um, excuse me, Monday's guest. I keep getting my day screwed up. Uh, musician Erica Chase, who joined us, uh, talked about her music career and her near-death experience and let us listen to her latest single, Paris. We had a, a big, uh, just a big show with her. It was a great show, a lot, a lot of fun. Uh, so a super big thank you uh, to Erica for joining us. But tonight's guest, uh, straight out of Philly, Jeff, one of your own, man, uh, musician Eddie Mann will be joining us at the 8 o'clock hour to talk about his career. And talk about being from Philly. We're going to look at some of his latest events. And guess what? We get to listen to three of his songs, which we're going to get to right after our top five list in a little bit, man. Are you happy that one of your own is going to be on the show tonight? Sure. Love some Philly people. Love some Philly stuff. Uh, Last Philly guy we had around here was Brian Quinn from Candlebox. That was a great show. Um, Like guys in the area that can relate to some of the uh, things I hold dear. But, uh, yeah, it should be great. He's a good, uh, good singer, some good folk music. I was listening to it earlier, and it uh, should be exciting. It should be a good show. It's going to be a good, good, good time. But with the Olympics going on, we're going to do a top five list tonight, and it's just going to be a quick one. It's going to be our top five favorite Olympic events because I'm into the Olympics. Jeff's watching a little bit. Everybody's into the Olympics. And I thought, you know what, between the summer and the winter, which ones do we hold near and dear to our hearts? I know Jeff you're more of a Winter Olympics guy. Me, I'm more of a Summer Olympics guy. So we put both together just to see where we would be and which events we love to watch the most. So, Jeff, kick it off, my friend. Sure will. Let's go to our top five. And, of course, a tie at number five. Dun, dun, dun. Number five, I'm going to go um, one summer, one winter. I'm going to go with men's basketball. Um, I go five because uh, it it tends to be a little bit of a runaway there's your essential teams, and then there's everybody else hanging on. But, yeah, still like some international hoops, number five. Tied with, and this is going to give you a chuckle, curling. I enjoy curling. I know it, it seems weird to people. I like watching it. I like to start learning it. Um, male or female, I like watching curling. That's one that always intrigues me, so that's a tie for number five. Number four, from a 110% perverted standpoint, women's <laughs> beach volleyball. You gotta love this thing, man. You gotta love it. It's also very competitive. They play a great game. It's tough for two on two, but uh, you know, you get some of the right countries, the uh, South American women, 
They wear them uniforms, man. Women's beach volleyball, number four. Number three, I love the sprinting of the 100-yard dash. I love the lightning fast guys. I love it. It's a shot of a gun and guys just take off. It's awesome. I love it. It's one of my favorite Olympic events, 100-yard dash uh, for the men mostly. Number two, anything at all related with ski jumping. I love watching the ski jumps and the guys getting up there and the skis up in their face and really exciting. And the landing is, is always a challenge. The landing is always exciting. So ski jumping, uh, anything related to that. And number one, of course, for me, from the Winter Olympics, men's ice hockey. I love international hockey. I love the change of international rules and larger rinks, and I love watching all the stars out there representing their countries. Uh, so that was a no-brainer for me, number one. Um, men's Olympic ice hockey is is the winner. There you go, man. And that is a very good list, man. Like curling as well, man. Love to watch curling. I think it's a great, great, great event. So pretty cool that you put that on there. Um, I have two ties tonight. So in number five slot, two ties here. Indian Winter Olympic snowboarding. I've always liked snowboarding. I like the half pipe. Love the women snowboarding the most. Um, just love the air that their tinier bodies can get. Absolutely brilliant. Love Tora Bright from Australia. One of my uh, favorite people uh, when the Winter Olympics comes around. Um, Tied with number five, handball. I love watching Olympic wow. handball. It's a completely, completely different sport. It's not the handball we're used to here in the U.S. Something I love to watch, Croatia, which where my family's from, is a very, very big part in uh, Olympic handball, and I always love to watch them play. Uh, tied for number four, here we go, got a tie here, uh, diving, both solo and synchronized. Absolutely love diving. It's something that just, man, it, it, it amazes me, especially the teams from China. They are just, they have it on lock every freaking Olympics. Amazing stuff. Uh, number four as well, we got a tie here, you and me, man, women's volleyball. Um, not because it's great to look at beautiful women on the sand, which is a big plus. These girls are just amazing, man. They're absolutely brilliant and amazing athletes. Uh, number three, going to go with uh, ice hockey, both women's and men, because, uh, hey, we're big hockey fans here. Number two, both men's and women's basketball, because, hey, it's basketball, and who doesn't like to follow the U.S. Uh, teams as well for me as uh, the creation national teams. And number one, I said it before, I'll say it again, my all-time favorite, favorite, favorite Olympic event, gymnastics. There you go, Jeffrey. You like that gymnastics? It is competitive. I love that I, gymnastics. It was just outside of my top five, which I do like. And I said, I, I mentioned I like the female gymnastics a little bit more. Um, just like the, the tighter package of the, the shorter women. It's just so much muscle. Everywhere's just muscle. And, yeah. Uh, well, the watch, man. It's very competitive. It's amazing, amazing stuff. All right, before we get into a few points of discussion here, we're going to play a song uh, by tonight's guest, Eddie Mann, and this is called Home Again, and we'll see you in about 3 minutes, 30 seconds. Enjoy, everybody. Now that I'm home again, I'm doing 
again When my soul's at peace And my worries cease Don't you know I'm home again I've had my slips and failings I've known my share of mistakes But don't you know now that I'm home again That's Eddie Mann's Home Again. Eddie will be joining us in just a little bit here on the stoop at around the 8 o'clock hour. Um, it's good to be home again, Jeff. Good to be home again, man. Yeah, man. All good right, man. stuff. Good tune. Absolutely. All right, let's talk about a few things here. Uh, first and foremost, we have to send uh, our condolences out. Once again, 2016 uh, strikes again. And uh, this, is, uh, this is a surprising loss. Uh, uh, John Saunders from ESPN uh, sportscast that's been around for many, many, many years. Uh, brilliant. One of those guys at ESPN that actually knew what he was talking about, Jeff. And when I heard that John Saunders died, I was shocked. I was shocked. I couldn't believe it. He was 61 years old. Um, didn't look like he had any problems. They found him dead at his home. And uh, this is a big loss, not only for, of course, his, his uh, wonderful family and friends, uh, but for us as sports lovers and people who grew up on ESPN. Uh, because when you talk about some of the best personalities and talents at ESPN, John Saunders was one of them, man. Yeah, definitely uh, a very tough loss. Always liked uh, watching and listening to John. Had a good, deep voice. Um, yep. Thing that not a lot of people knew or may have known and, and not really made a point, he's a huge hockey guy. One of the yes. best hockey guys at ESPN, and he played hockey. And uh, when you tell people, like, nah, he looks like a football guy. Well, he was a big hockey guy, he's a Canadian guy. Just a terrific voice. He just seemed like 
a great personality, and you heard that from uh, pretty much everybody they spoke to. Really shock, uh, really shocking, really big loss. We're going to miss John Saunders here, definitely. Absolutely, absolutely. Rest in peace, John. Thank you for uh, for entertaining us for so many years with your wonderful knowledge on sports and uh, for being one of the very few people at ESPN who actually uh, cared about hockey. So, Godspeed, man. Yep. All right, let's uh, keep it up uh, with the uh, with the sports talk here. And uh, Prince Fielder, Texas Rangers uh, DH, retiring at the age of 32 after his second spinal fusion surgery. The ironic thing about this, Jeff, is that he has the same exact number of home runs as his father, Cecil. What do you think of that? That was incredible when I saw that stat. I could not believe 319 home runs between him and his dad. Almost like the Roberto Clemente passing away at 3,000 hits. A crazy yeah. stat. Uh, I watched the interview, uh, the press conference, and uh, so sad. He cried the whole time. His kids were crying. Uh, he said how big his kids were, and he walked in and just said, told them it was over. And the kids were like, okay, Dad, uh, come down and uh, let's play some video games. And the kids just tried their best to uh, be strong for Dad. And that's big stuff right there. And, uh, you know, he was uh, just a threat in the middle of that line, a big power-hitting guy, pretty uh, pretty agile for a man of his size, and uh, very sad. 32 years old, that, that's tough. Yeah, it's it's tough, man. Uh, you know, he's a year younger than me, and to think that, uh, you know, guys that are now younger than me are having to retire, um, crazy. He's been in the league since around 2005, uh, started off with the Milwaukee Brewers, played till 2011 with them, then traded to the Detroit Tigers. Played about a season and a half with them and then went over to the Texas Rangers in 2014, uh, where he's been ever since. Uh, real cool that he got to play in the Detroit Tigers uniform, just like his father. Uh, finishing his career with a 283 batting average, over 1,600 hits, 319 home runs, 1,028 runs batted, and a 506 slugging percentage. Question for you, enough to get into the Hall of Fame? I don't think so. Won't be enough. Um, no World Series ring either, and... Uh... You know, the uh, 300 home runs, not enough. The fact that this guy, uh, you know, people that joke, he's one of the guys that swings from his ankles. Hitting 283 is very impressive for a large guy who's in that lineup to go deep. Uh, put the ball all over the field. He's a good, pure hitter. And 283 is a great average for a guy of that that style. Yeah, he was definitely a better ball player than his father. And his father was a, it was, it was a solid, solid uh, ball player. Uh, he became the first uh, player to reach 50 home run mark uh, since George Forster did it in 1977, Cecil Fielder. So, uh, you know, it sucks that he had to retire, but I'm glad he's able to get out before any any more severe damage was done because who knows what could have happened if he decided to just come back anyway or they just cleared him without really uh, making him sit on the sidelines. But, man, that's uh, that's sad, man. 32 years old, man. He definitely probably had at least another good few years in him, if that. So, no, absolutely. Uh, last couple of days, we've seen uh, Fielder, uh, the potential retirement, not quite sure, of A-Rod, and then uh, Carlos Gomez set free. It's hard to even know if he'll have a home. That guy's had a bizarre career. So, uh, a couple of big names out there uh, in the world of baseball we might be saying goodbye to. Yeah, no, I don't know, man. I, I, yeah, you have to wonder if Carlos Gomez uh, returns home to the uh, New York Mets uh, where he started his career. Um, been hearing some rumors about that, and why not? The uh, Mets just fell below 500 for the first time today after a 9-0 loss to the Diamondbacks. Uh, they're falling apart uh, at the seams after being in the World Series last year. Uh, hopefully they make some changes, man. Uh, bringing Carlos Gomez, is not, it's not going to save their season. 
But at the same time, let's hope, let's hope Mr. Wally Backman is the New York Mets manager for next season. At least that's what I hope for, man. Excellent. All right, man, let's switch it over to football real quick, man. The NFL turns down a Dallas Cowboys request to wear an arm-in-arm helmet decal honoring not only the Dallas Police Department, but slain Dallas police officers. What in the hell is going on with the NFL, Jeff? Because, listen, you're an Eagles fan. You despise the Dallas Cowboys, but I'm sure even this makes you sick. It does. I I took to the Dallas Cowboys uh, for the first time in my life right here. Um to their defense, and the NFL is becoming uh, a thing we talk about. Um, you know, look, nobody likes their job, and nobody likes big corporate workplace. The NFL is becoming big corporate workplace. We're going to tell you how to dress. We're going to tell you what to wear. We're going to tell you what to put on your helmets. We're going to tell you what to say, how to act. If we cancel a game, that's the way it is. We suspend somebody, that's the way it is. We make the rules. We're a big brother. And it's, it's getting carried away. It's supposed to be a game. It's supposed to be a sport. Uh, and to make that kind of claim that they're taking that logo off the helmet is pretty sickening. It's a huge tribute to a very big matter. It's something that's got to be made aware. And like they said the other year with the uh, with the breast cancer awareness and the sneakers, their fines are being handed out. NFL is just carried away. Yeah, I agree, man. Uh, Jerry Jones says that everyone has to be in uniform with the league and the other 31 teams, and he says he respects the NFL's decision. The Dallas Police Department sent in a news release uh, – pretty much reacting to the news and uh, said, we appreciate the support of the Cowboys organizations and its players. They're concerned for the families of our fallen officers, the Dallas police department and the city of Dallas is what matters most. And we know what support, well, excuse me. And we know that support will continue for the immediate and long-term future. However, the Dallas fallen officer foundation uh, told TMZ today that I was extremely upset. The, uh, and I quote the NFL, an opportunity to be leaders and advocates for change in law enforcement. These are our friends and our loved ones. It hurts to not have the NFL fully support us. Uh, listen, it's a little decal on the back of the helmet. I'm sure every other team would not be upset if the NFL let the Dallas Cowboys do this. Uh, I know Jerry Jones is saying we respect their decision, but you know deep down I'm sure Jerry Jones and the Cowboys do not respect the NFL's decision in this. Um, it's, it's, it's sickening what's going on. With the NFL, dude, uh, I just, I just can't get over it, man. We have people who are doing drugs, domestic violence, DUIs, barely get suspended, and if they do, not for many games at all. We got Josh Gordon getting, you know, his suspension lifted, and then you got guys like D'Angelo Williams writes something on his cleats to his mother who uh, had breast cancer. He gets fined, and then you got something like this, man. It's it just, what the hell kind of a world are we living in, man? I'm getting confused of, um, you know, the things that these executives put their foot down on. Why why make this an issue? And I tell you what, if the media didn't point it out and the sports broadcast didn't point it out, how many people would have really noticed? I mean, people would say it and say that's a great tribute. But you make yeah. a spectacle of it and you got to point it out to the NFL and they say, well, no, can't have it. And I don't even think half of them would have really even noticed. Well, let me ask you this. Now, not a big fan of Jerry Jones, but, you know, I'm going to say, God forbid, Jerry Jones passed away tonight. And what are they going to do? They're going to put a Jerry Jones dedication patch on the front of their jersey, if not on their helmet or on the shoulder sleeve. That's not in uniform with the other 31 teams in the league. But that's okay. But a little itty-bitty decal on the back of the helmet is what they're having a heart attack about. Yeah, it's not like they went all out and made this huge 
logo on the front of their jersey. They made a little thing on the back of a helmet. Yeah. It's, you know, maybe um, maybe Reebok should sponsor the logo, and then it will be allowed on the helmets. Let, you know, uh, something to get paid for. Let the NFL get paid. Let Reebok uh, make the logo, and they can pay a royalty. I bet it goes on the helmet real quick. Oh, I'm sure it oh, does, my yeah. friend. I am sure, sure, sure it does. Yeah. Oh, boy. I tell you, man, I just, I just don't understand the thinking of Roger Goodell and the National Football League. I just, I, I, every time I try to think of it, just does nothing for it, man. Does nothing, nothing, nothing for it, man. All right. It, stay, it hurts me because I'm a, I'm a, I'm a blood, sweat, and tears football guy. I love football, but it, yeah. yeah. On to the next. What do we got? <laughs> All right, mate, uh, let's stay in here real quick. Uh, ESPN on Thursday unveiled its newest project, a vertical devoted to the World Wrestling Entertainment. I was going to say World Wrestling Federation. I'm a WWF guy. Uh, according to uh, a press release, WWN ESPN will serve as a one-stop destination for content, including match results, features, wrestler profiles, rankings, international wrestling, video, and more. This is what I want to tell you, man. They barely cover professional hockey, and now they're going to cover the WWE. Cheers to show you how bad that is. Um... Going to the big market, I guess. Uh, I guess big money, uh, Vince McMahon talks. But you're right. The NHL gets nothing from ESPN. Like you got to beg to see a highlight. And if you miss 18 seconds of a broadcast, you will miss uh, your three hockey highlights of the night. It's pathetic. I don't really understand what the goal is behind this. And wrestling has kind of faded from what it once was. If you told me this is going on in the 90s, I'd be like, oh, yeah, there's so much to see. But today there's I mean- not as much. It's still big. It's still bringing in a lot of money. The WWE is, a, is, is you know, millions and millions and millions of dollars, you know, as, as a corporation. It still brings in a lot of money. It still brings in a lot of hype. Um, yes, it's not like it was in the 90s because when you had the competition, it was a lot better because there was a lot more people watching it, I thought. Uh, the product has definitely suffered. No question about that. Still brings in people, but... Cover professional sports before you cover the WWE. And listen, I'm okay with ESPN covering the WWE. I, I think it's cool. I'm fine to put on Sports Center in the morning and get a little snippet on what happened in last night's Raw because guess what? I'm sleeping by the time it's on. So I'm cool with that. But cover professional freaking hockey. Cover the National Hockey League before you do that. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Sickening yeah. what they do with hockey. Yeah. Speaking of hockey, Patrick Waugh. Don't know if you heard about this, but abruptly resigned as the Colorado Avalanche's VP today, man. It's going to be fun to fig- to learn what the hell happened there, man. Oh, yeah. well, um, And coach, by the Philly, way. I always forget he was a coach, too. Right, so, okay. uh, Being from Philly, we have always had this passion that Patrick Waugh is a dick. Um, <laughs> and he's not a well-liked guy in these parts. So I'm sure it had something to do with his ego. Somebody bruised him somehow, and... Uh, took some kind of power away from him, and he went on a little baby rant. I'm sure it's what you're going to hear. And uh, yeah. Yeah, good he's a guy I never cared for. Never. No, no not at all. All right, so uh, just a little bit. We're going to talk a little bit about the Ghostbusters reboot losing a lot of money, possibly no sequel. Ocean's 8 being remade with a complete female cast. And then LeBron James, something happened with LeBron James today. But before we get to our guest, Eddie Man, we're going to listen to another one of his amazing songs. And it's called right. I'm Setting My Mind on You by Philadelphia's own Eddie Mann. Enjoy and we'll see you in just a few seconds. Oh, a few minutes. 
Setting my mind on you by guess who? Eddie Mann, and he's joining us right now here in the stoop. Eddie, are you there? Hey guys. Hey man. How's it going, man? Thanks for joining us tonight. Uh, it's cool to be here, man. I'm looking forward to it. Just you know, sitting back, checking the birds out tonight. You know. <laughs> All right. Like... <laughs> Enjoying the is... beautiful East Coast humidity. I'm sure, huh? <laughs> hey, it's all good. It's all good, man. The Eagles are playing again. You know, we're back into we're back into football season. So <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, so 
So we'll jump right into it. We want to learn a little bit more about you and, of course, your music. Um, so you're a folk artist. You're from the Philadelphia area. This is why our co-host here, Jeff Perini, absolutely loves you. He's from the Philly area as well. And uh, Philly has a, you know, a thriving folk scene. So let's talk about your music and how you've mixed your music with your beliefs. What led you to, uh, from what I read, offering your creative gifts to God along with your music? Um, I didn't plan on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it's one of those, th- it's one of those things where I've, I've tried not to, to fight the journey, so to speak. Um, you know, I, I, I try to be open to what opportunities present themselves to me my whole life. I've tried to do that. And, um, you know, I, I just, like everybody else, you make mistakes along the way, but I've, I've tried to be prepared for whatever the opportunity was going to be so I could take advantage of it. So as a young guitarist, I, I really tried to hone my gift as an instrumentalist. And uh, when, I started to, when I started to write, I went back and kind of schooled myself on, on uh, you know, the old school writers, even going back into the 20s and, 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 uh, and just, just trying to get inside the heads of these people that were writing the, the different kind of lo- uh, lyrical styles and, and poetry that they were presenting. So... Um, you know, after after a season of of being a, a full time musician, um, I met my wife. I wanted my kids to know what I looked like. I wanted to be home. Mm-hmm. I wanted to come home from work at night and kind of be on the floor and play with the Legos, that kind of stuff. And, and so I actually had a I actually had a season where I went back to school and, and uh, which was an educator. I taught for a while. And oh, nice. as I as you know as my kids as they became a little bit more independent, I started weeding my way back into weeding it little by little back into the music. Uh, into the music business, and uh, you know, I got a, I got a call from a pastor I never met. Um, I got a call. For, he was in a church that I never had attended, and he just heard an album and uh, was really intrigued. Something about it just just touched him, and uh, mm-hmm. I went in for a meeting, and uh, I walked out a, a worship leader, not fully understanding what it was. You know, the job description was real was was real sketchy at the time, but basically they wanted to have um, the two services, you know, that didn't look anything like anything anything traditional that they had before, and they were trying to reach, you know, all these disenfranchised people in in the world mm-hmm. that just didn't want anything to do with the church again. And so I yeah. had a rather long run. I had a rather long run there, and you know, I was already, you know, the, the music the, the music part of it was easy. I kind of, you know, I had done that for so long. I was very confident. And the same thing, being a teacher first made it, you know, made that comfortable. But the, the most difficult part in the beginning, especially, was uh, becoming a spiritual leader, and and realizing that um, these weren't hired gun musicians that I was working with. Now these are mostly volunteers, um, mm-hmm. so my expectations of them had to be a little bit different. Uh, but nonetheless, it was a great run. I just resigned from that a little over a year ago, actually. Um, oh, okay. Just because I, I just was I, I was just being called to travel a lot more and perform a lot more and uh, it's just again you know it just felt like the right thing to do and, and I kind of want to go with the flow I don't really you know I don't want to be I don't want to be swimming upstream. So. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nobody does. Nobody does. <laughs> yeah. It's a losing battle. It always is, especially when you're uh, you know trying to swim up and you keep getting knocked down. So. We we get that. We definitely get that. So let's talk a little bit about your latest album, which is Dig Love. We just heard uh, two songs from it, which was Home Again and I'm Setting My Mind on You, which I absolutely love, love that, that song. So tell us uh, about That's Dig sweet. Love and uh, the, uh, the meaning behind the album itself. 
I, uh, I'm one of those people that writes all the time. Mm-hmm. So I don't really write for an album. When it comes time to do the next one, I kind of look at uh, the collection of songs I've had in between the last, you know, the preceding album. And, and uh, there's usually, you know, as I started looking at songs and picking songs out, um, there's usually a theme that reflects whatever whatever it is that I'm living through uh, or whatever the world looks like at that time. And I think uh, leading up to Dig Love, I've been supporting that live now for a little over a year. And yeah. uh, the, the season right before that, was, I, I just was painfully aware of what was happening in our world in general. And uh, I, I just chose, I'm an optimist at heart, so I really chose to, how do I spin this in a positive vein? And I found myself writing all these songs that were kind of, idyllically peaceful and mm-hmm. um so i was really trying to kind of inspire a more compassionate look at the world um what i saw was what i saw was a world where if you and i had one thing that we didn't agree on the conversation stopped the dialogue stopped there was no movement forward and, and we couldn't be friends um mm-hmm. that's the kind of world i was seeing so I really wanted to write stuff that may maybe made people focus on not what we didn't have in common, but all the things that we did have in common. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Dig Love was was kind of uh, it, it's it's positive in that respect all the way through from from beginning to end. Uh, and it was uh, again again it was a very natural uh, a natural. Um, I think thematically music it's a little bit more centered. Uh, than uh, than a lot of my other work because I tend because I listen to all different types of music I write in all different types of veins which you know kind of it makes it impossible to fit what I do like in a box you know trying to I've defied genre you know things my whole life um, just because I've been inspired by different so many different things growing up and but um, the music is, I think, very much, you know, Americana, a little folk tradition there, a little culture, folk culture type stuff. And uh, it just seemed, it just seemed, again, it was a very natural thing. I didn't fight it. It just, uh, you, unlike a lot of the, of the other albums, it, this one just kind of sat in that vein with some Southern rock influences. And um, mm-hmm. so, it, so it, it's been, a, it's been a whole lot of fun to perform live. It's a lot, uh, Having performed a year with it now, at this point, the songs have changed and morphed so much that they're remarkably different than the recorded version. For me, the songs mm-hmm. are always breathe for them to breathe and continue to stay fresh. Um, you know, the band uh, needs to have the freedom to to uh, to let them grow. You know, and there's usually breakdown sessions. Some of the songs are nothing like they were initially when I recorded them. So, mm-hmm. okay, so. Um as I was reading, you have a new album coming out uh, called The Consequence. Uh, not sure when that's coming, but how is that going to sound, and what's going to be the difference between uh, your newest album versus Dig Love? Well, it was originally The Consequence. Um, I had planned to release it in September, mm-hmm. and um, I still do a lot of a lot of events. I, I, I'm kind of chameleon-like in that I'll be in a in a, I could be in a venue, uh, in in, in any in a which word I'm looking for here. In a, in, I could be playing in a bar someplace on Saturday night and be playing in a like a church event on Sunday and then doing something else. I'm, I'm moving around all the time, so my my set list can be completely different from night to night depending on where I find myself. And uh, around May and June, I I actually sold out of three of what were worship 
albums that I had done written while I was uh, working through the church. And rather than uh, repress all three, I, I kind of picked the songs that were that uh, kind of set the you know that resonated the most with people and put them together as a as a compilation, uh, an album called Reprise that uh, we just pre-ordered just started yesterday or Tuesday rather, and that's oh, now nice. being released on September first week of September, and I've had to move the consequence back to the first week of uh, November. Okay. Um, but I did the same. I did the same thing for the consequence. I looked at the the songs that I had been writing over the past year, and, and once again there was, um, you know, it was an, it was a perfect follow up to Dig Love. I think once again it has a very, uh, it, it's a very positive album. Um, I think it speaks a little bit more to the power of love. It's a little because some of the songs come from a more a, a darker place. Uh, I, I think. In in the past year, I, the natural writing cycle for me was to look at the fact that, you know, as as positive as we can be in our approach to getting up each day, and as positive as we can be uh, getting through the day, um, we still have valleys and we still go through job loss and we still go through, you know, death and illness and we still have those low moments. But uh, I'm hoping that the songs kind of... Um, the, the the songs kind of reveal what the how powerful the love can be the power of love when you're in those situations to uh to try to keep you on a positive keel um and not get too down um so that, like i said it's a little bit it's a little bit darker i, I thought it was going to be a little bit quieter and um the uh the album is finished it's remastered i played it for a couple of guys in the rhythm section the other day and mm-hmm. um they they you know, for them, getting out and doing it live, they, it was just the opposite. They thought it was, just, you know, it's going to be very up and a lot of energy. And so, what, it, like anything else, you spend a lot of time. I spend too much time with them. I'm not the best, uh, not the best person to talk to about it. You get too close to them emotional, emotionally, yeah. and, and you just kind of want to get some separation. So, I have mm, a pretty good mm. accountability team. That's always good. That's always good. So with Dig Love, I mean, you know, when I first opened it and I started, you know, looking at some of the tracks, because I, I, I always like to read the names of the tracks before I actually jump in and, uh, you know, listen to the actual CD. And one of the first things that came across my mind was I'm setting my mind on you, which automatically made me think of uh, I've Got My Mind Set On You by George Harrison. So I started singing that in my head. And, of course, that's the first track that I put on. And this is just a very – it's a very upbeat uh, you know, just awesome song, and it's definitely my uh, my favorite song on the album. So I have to ask you, from you know, f- you know, from my personal standpoint, what's that song about? Because I really do love it. Um, I think we're very often in life we allow what other people think to 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 mess us up, um, mm-hmm. to knock us off the path we're on, and it really is just about that. It's just about. Um, you know, I'm just I'm just singing for somebody who's who's come to the realization that, you know, I'm going after I'm going after this person, I'm going after this thing, whatever it is. It doesn't matter what the neighbors say. It doesn't matter how my friends feel. The world never seems like it has their act together. So regardless of all that, I'm going to be true to myself, and 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 live the life I want to live, doing the things I want to do. Um, Seeing the people I want to see, you know, uh, mm-hmm. being being spiritual in whatever way, you know. So uh, that, that's really where the song sits. You know, it is very positive in that vein. I just, you know, um, you know, the world the world's always telling us what we're supposed to think, what we're supposed to say, what we're supposed to wear. Um, mm-hmm. You know, 
Well, there you go. The NFL is telling, <laughs> telling the Cowboys, telling them what to put on their helmets. You know, we're always being told by somebody or something Absolutely. how to act. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we, we start to lose we start to lose a little bit of our own self, our own creativity and our own uniqueness gets kind of washed away after a while. So, yeah. So a little, so I guess it was a rebellious moment for me. <laughs> yeah. There you go. No, it's a great song. Absolutely love it. So, and I totally agree with that. We went on, uh, on your website today, which is uh, eddieman.com for all of our listeners listening in right now. If you want to check out more about Eddie, especially the events, which we're going to talk about right now, um, August, is a busy, busy month for you. You're, uh, you're pretty much doing a show every night, if not every other night. Um, so coming up on uh, August 13th, you're doing the uh, Stand Up to Cancer Musical Benefit in Newcastle, Delaware. And on the same day, you're going to be playing at the uh, Full Throttle uh, Cafe. So my question to you is, what do you prefer? Do you prefer to be in the zone writing and creating the music? Or do you prefer playing live and playing in front of people? I really have a passion for for both I mean mm-hmm. the art the creative side of me wants to create art and um, that's just who I am I can't I, you know I'm not going to fight that again I'm going with the flow this is what I do my family has learned that this is this is you know my wife knows this is what my husband does my kids knew growing up that this is what dad does if he gets that look on his face when we're at the beach just let him alone he'll come out of it you know he's writing uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so so that you know that's kind of separate but everybody that creates art does it to get a response from, from someone else. Um, mm. And uh, so the, so the live performance is, it, it fills that void. I could sell CDs and very rarely will I get, uh, you know, be able to get in contact with, with someone um, mm. and actually speak to them one-on-one about it. But in a live situation, uh, I have the, the, you know, I have the option and the availability to be one-on-one with people, feel the energy coming back from the stage. Um, so th- that's a completely different high than being in the studio, which is completely different from being there the, when the song is conceived and you're just, you know, you get this rush of ideas and rush of adrenaline. And even the live gigs are different. I do probably 80% of what I do, 70% of what I do now is solo work. Um, and, and so I'm in a smaller venue when I'm doing that. And I may be in a coffee house with, with 30 people, uh, that's completely different than being in a larger room with 300 or an arena with a thousand yeah. because, you know, I, I, again, I've got the band with me and, and that's, that's an enormous lift. I love the, I love the guys and I'm blessed to have the guys I have with me. Um, and that takes the music to a whole different plane. Uh, but oh, yeah. it's still, it, it's, it's not the same as being in a smaller room where you're actually in conversation with people in between songs. So, um, mm-hmm. so I, I really I love the whole package. I'm fortunate that I really have a passion for all of it, and it's yeah. always the next gig. You know, it's just, it, I had I was down in, I, at the Jersey Shore uh, last weekend and and had just an outstanding outstanding time. Um, but for me, the the best gig is going to be this weekend. You know, going to Newcastle and and uh, you know each day I'm trying to tap into what that's going to be like and do I want to make changes in the set list and. What's the message I want to get across? And so, uh, it, you know, I'm constantly looking ahead and excited about what's what's you know what I'm what I'm what's gonna set up to do. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, you got a lot of events coming up for that, so that should be a lot of fun. Um, so, now, let me ask you this: you're you're a husband, you're a father, you're a grandfather, you were a teacher. Um, in in a lot of ways, you still are a teacher. So, when it comes to your music. 
what is your dream? Like, you know, do you want to go further than where you are now? Are you content and happy being where you are now? What's, you know, what does any man want out of the future for uh, music? Um, You know, I feel really fortunate that Mm -hmm. I, that I can do all those things on, on a given day. And whatever one I'm doing at that moment, that's always the most important thing. Definitely. You know, there's, there's times when being a husband is the most important thing I can do in my life, and there's times when I'm up on stage somewhere that, that you know, that becomes the most important thing. Um, but I, I think that anybody that creates art, as, as I said earlier, wants to get a reaction, and we all want to reach a larger audience. Uh, I, but I don't feel the need to have to fight for that, if that makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. I'm kind of, I'm, I'm on a path. Uh, I really enjoy where I'm at. Um, I, someone asked me earlier today whether I, whether I was still, uh, you know, I'm working as an indie artist, um, mm-hmm. and they asked, you know, the, am I still looking for that, that you know, do you, do you continue to look for that big deal, you know? And I said, you know, I, I turned down two deals when I was younger, which probably would have changed the life that I live. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I, I'm able to do what I do right now because I carry no debt. I own everything. Um, I was really smart all the, the whole trip, the whole way. You know, I own my house, I own all my instruments, I own my my transportation. So mm-hmm. it's very easy for me to go with the flow and just, you know, and be creative and experience different places and different times without um, having that kind of thing hanging over my head. And that's really the American way is to have debt. You know, that's another oh, thing yeah. the world's constantly. That's yeah. another thing the world's constantly trying to do for us. And then the whole time it's doing that, it's it's again it's shaving off a piece of who piece of who we are because we've mm-hmm. got to do this for money instead. Um, so uh, I don't think if I if I had taken one of those deals earlier, like most bands, I'd probably be carrying debt from those because most bands don't come out, you know, years ago didn't come out the other side um, with positive money. Most of the bands did not sell enough product, um, so yeah. they ended up, you know trying to find a way out of a contract where I, I don't have that. You know, I'm mm-hmm. able, I'm able to sit here tonight and release uh, a compilation worship album on in September and then release a follow-up to dig love in November, all the while, while I'm in the studio now uh, doing a completely different product or different, uh, rather different project that was inspired by the artwork of Thomas Aikens. I was down in the art museum, just got flipped uh-huh. out one day by his stuff and, and uh, wrote a lot of stuff that's all inspired by his paintings and stuff. So I have the freedom creatively to just do so much, so many different things. And nobody's saying, look, you got to go out on the road now. You got to do 30 dates here and you're going to be away for six weeks here. And um, so I, I, I think I'm, I'm really comfortable with, with the freedom I have. And the fact that you know that I'm, it's 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 easy for me at this point. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I I can get up each day with a smile on my face and I'm relaxed and I really don't have any stress in my life. So that in itself is enormous <laughs> at this point. Yeah. So um, mm-hmm. yeah, well, you know, we, but it's like you know, it's like your show. Your show's reaching a certain amount of people, and it yeah. and it's awesome, you know, and you and you're happy about that and. And and if that's if that was the highlight if that was if that maxed out you'd be happy with it but of course there's always another ten people that you'd say that'd be cool if we could bring them in you know if we could entertain oh, yeah, them definitely. if we could do you know so I think that anybody that's in this this kind of business is always reaching out you know am I mm-hmm. reaching everybody I'm supposed to reach you know that kind of thing yeah yeah so now when uh, 
you know, when you're not walking around carrying uh, your music sheets and your guitar, uh, I noticed on your website, uh, we have an art section, you know, speaking about art. Which <laughs> just up. Uh, so are you always just walking around with your camera? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, you know, it's like I needed one more hat. I needed one more thing. To do. <laughs> the, yeah. the, photograph, the photography thing, in all honesty, was an outlet for me to get away. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really a way for me to escape uh, the writing and all the projects that I had going on, and it was just a, a way for me to just and and as I as I started doing it more and I got into doing more graphics, a lot of this came from when I was a worship leader and I had to create graphics each week uh, for PowerPoint and things like that in the church. Um, it just kind of grew and it expanded, and people kept saying, you know. You know, why, why don't you? You know, I'd like to have a copy of that. Can you, you know, can you sell me a copy of this or that? And yeah. so eventually, I kind of I caved in and I said, well, you know, you know, I, I'll I'll put it up, you know, and and I'm not going to promote it. If it moves, it moves. And if somebody is is uh, is inspired by something or just feels touched by it and wants to purchase it, they can. Um, maybe maybe one out of eight or nine gigs are set up where I could actually exhibit some stuff while I'm playing at a, at a place. Um, and that's nice. I mean, it's nice. I'm comfortable with it, but it, uh, it, the passion's different. The passion is more of an outlet as opposed to, I feel like people need to see this. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, they're phenomenal photos. Was looking through them earlier today. Uh, just, you know, like you said, another hat, man. It's amazing that you have all this going on and at the same time you're walking around taking pictures and, you know, really working on that too. So that's, that's absolutely amazing. <laughs> Uh, now, truth be and, known, I think I think I think I'm I think I, I really would like to be a painter, but, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I have absolutely but I have absolutely zero zero talent in that area. So well, it would be you a know challenge. if you stop sleeping, you, you could you could possibly learn. <laughs> <laughs> well, see the other the other things are more natural. I think I have natural gifts there. I never you know I'm not I'm not a big you know I don't study photography. I just do it. I enjoy yeah. it. I see it. I capture it. And the music's the same way. It just comes so naturally. So to sit down and, and struggle to create, I think my paintings would always be stiff. There'd always be something unnatural about them, even if I did do it. So it's the last mm-hmm. thing my wife wants to hear at this point. That I'm going to be a painter next. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, your poor wife. <laughs> yeah, I need, I need more space. I need a, I need a studio yeah. space now for my paintings. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great. Uh, so now, before we let you go, um, uh, you know, I want to ask you this. I, I love your guitar playing, the chords you strike in your songs. Um, it's it's pretty much nothing I've really heard before, um, which I find amazing because sometimes you can listen to a song and, you know, you, you've heard the chord before, you've heard the way the string was hit before. Uh, but it's just, mm-hmm. you, you know, I... I you know, I don't. I don't want to throw it at you and say Jim Croce esque because you know I don't think it's uh, you know right to throw that on anybody. Uh, but it's it's definitely <laughs> along the lines, and I, and I absolutely love it. How did you get into playing a guitar? Like you know, one day did you just pick it up? Was there like an inspiration to you to pick up a guitar and play it? I have I have the the typical high school. You know, I get you know I'll play in a band so I can get girls type of thing. I, I was a really I was a I, let me tell you, I was a painfully shy kid in school. Yeah, I mean mm-hmm. painfully shy, and I put a I, I sat down with a guitar and I, I like you know I had 
I don't know what kind, what kind of moment you would call it, but I, all of a sudden I had all the confidence in the world and I had a date every Saturday night. And I thought this is the greatest thing in the world. I can, mm-hmm. I can do this for a while. Um, but, you know, and I, and I, and I was, you know, I became passionate about the, about the instrument when I got out of high school and, and really wanted to, to learn how to play it. But I was brought up in a house where my dad was in it. As a jazz pianist, he had a little, a little jazz quintet that played, and so I, I heard piano all the time. And I think my early on, my approach to playing guitar was that of a pianist um, with a lot more accompaniment. Left hand, um, you know, left hand with pianos playing bass lines and playing different kind of accompaniment to the right hand. And so I, I was always trying to get that sound on guitar. And uh, so I think my approach to writing and approach to playing. Uh, was different because of that. Now, when I'm working as a single, I can play everything. You know, I'm just I hear all kind of things going on, and I'm you know, I'd be banging some percussion on the guitar and everything else. And when mm-hmm. I get in the band situation, I got to cut that down because I'm covering parts that other guys in the band are going to play. And so it's a different approach when I've got uh, all the guys up on stage with me. But I think that's mm-hmm. really the essence of of why a lot of it sounds differently. That combined with the fact that I grew up and still listen to all kinds of music. Um, mm. My soundtrack is different every day. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. That's great. Well, Eddie, seriously, man, it's it's been a lot of fun having you here, man. We wish you nothing but the best, and hopefully, we can get you back on, uh, you know, after the next couple albums come out. Appreciate that. Look forward to it, guys. Look forward to it. Great. Thank you so much, Eddie. You have yourself a great night. Thank, Thank you. You too. Bye bye. That was uh, musician Eddie Mann. Um, if you want to learn more about him, you can check him out at eddiemann.com. Really nice guy. Really good music, Jeff. Yeah, good music and uh, good conversations. He's got some good stories. He speaks well, and he's got a passion about what he does, you can tell, and that's great. Absolutely. So what we'll do right now is, uh, before we get back into some of our other stuff, we're going to play another song by Eddie Mann because, hey, this is Eddie Mann night here on The Stoop. And this song is called You... You make me feel. Enjoy it, and we'll see you in a few minutes. Small as I sometimes feel, you make me feel like a Shy as I sometimes feel You make me feel like an ocean You, you make me feel You, you make me feel You, you make me feel again You, you make me feel You, you make me feel You, you make me feel again As I sometimes feel You make me feel like an old tree Taught as I sometimes feel You make me feel like a valley You, you make me feel You, you make me feel You, you make me feel again Sometimes feel 
From our guest tonight, Eddie Man, you you make me feel, man, off of his latest album, Dig Love. Great stuff, great stuff from Eddie. Um, for everybody listening, if you want to check out more of Eddie Man, you can check him out on his official website at eddyman.com. E D D Y M A N N dot com. Let him know we sent you. Cool guy, cool music. Can't wait to have him back on again, Jeff. Oh yeah, he was excellent. Definitely uh, another. Big star, classy guy from Michael Stover. His people are always outstanding. We love him here on the stoop. Always good yep. interviews with his people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Good management. I want to send a huge shout out to uh, Michael Stover over from MTS Management. Um, just, as you said, amazing clientele over there. Everybody is just so nice, so classy, and they just love, love, love to play their music. And that's what we love here at the stoop. We love to have people on here, um, you know just being comfortable in their careers, you know, um, really amazing stuff. So thank you, Eddie, for joining us. And once again, thank you to MTS management for setting that up. All right, man, we got a few things to talk about real quick before the show is over. And let's bring this up. The Ghostbusters reboot, which we absolutely hated here at the stoop (laughs) is losing over $60 million. And it looks like there's no sequel to follow. Jeff, amen to this. (laughs) Amen to that. Um, why don't they use us as consultants to this stuff? Uh, run a couple of movie ideas past us here at the Stoop, a new gig for all you movie creators out there. Ask us, uh, how's this reboot going to go? And I'm going to tell you uh, it sucks, and we're going to mm. save you $60 million. <laughs> Pay me uh, five grand, and I'll tell you, uh, hmm, that idea, it sucks. You're being a yeah. douche. <laughs> being a douche. Being a douche. All right, man. Um, another remake, uh, Ocean's 8 is going to get another remake, but this time it's going to be with an all-female cast with Anne Hathaway, Rihanna, uh, Helena, Helena Bonham Carter, Mindy Kaling. What do you think of this, man? Well, anytime you say Anne Hathaway, you, uh, you pique my interest, but uh, until you tell me what the project is, and I, um, again, like they didn't learn from the Ghostbusters thing, you don't just say, hey, let's add women, and uh, it'll make it different or better. It doesn't. It doesn't do it. It's, it's about the story. The story's been done. Let's cut it right there. Yeah, I I can't say I don't agree anymore with you on that because I agree immensely with that. Um, another reboot <laughs> – Bia talked about it was a movie that was made in 1994, and it couldn't get any better. And unfortunately, the star of that movie died during the filming of it, and that is The Crow 
with the late, great Brandon Lee is going to be rebooted, supposedly. And Jason Momoa is going to play Brandon Lee's part, Eric Draven. Why? Why? I don't get it, man. I don't know. I mean, if you like the legacy of something enough, respect the legacy of it and let it die and let it stay where it was. Um, Again, a a great tribute to the life of Brandon Lee was to just cut this where it was. The Crow is a a cult classic film and let it stay that way. Uh, We talked about it before. They had that awful Crow television show that was terrible and and Crow 2 Oh my God! It just keep pounding the dead horse. I mean, God willing, I always say nobody gets out alive. Um, Forty, fifty, sixty years from now, if two guys are doing the stoop, I'm throwing lightning bolts from heaven. I'll tell you that right now. Yeah, yeah. It's it, you know, it, it just tarnishes, man. Uh, you know, it tarnishes a good movie. I mean, they did the same thing with Arthur, man. And when I heard that was coming out with Russell Brand, I said, "Are you freaking kidding me, man? They're gonna tarnish in a, a flawless movie by an accomplished, amazing actor in Dudley Moore with the great Sir John Gielgud, and they're gonna put this crap out." Man, you know, it, it it amazes me that movie houses would like to, would would want to touch that kind of a movie and remake it, unless it's a ploy to push it to the original to get people to start buying and watching the originals again. But I highly Maybe. doubt it because it's just about money, and uh, there's no more unique ideas anymore in the big movie houses. That's how I feel. I mean, you you look at the movies coming out and. There's very few movies that are coming out that look good. And that's, yeah, and that's the truth. I don't go to the movies often. The, the fiancé likes movies. I just... I need something that's going to stand out. Something's going to blow me away. Something's going to be new. And we're not getting it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, the last movie I went to see in the movie theater was Guardians of the Galaxy. Because I'm a big Marvel guy. And, honestly, the trailer looked freaking amazing. And it was nice that Marvel was going to touch something that not many people knew about unless you were an avid comic book reader like myself. I knew the Guardians of the Galaxy. I knew Drax and Destroyer. I knew Star-Lord. I knew all of this before uh, there was even talks of a movie. And when they said they were going to make a movie, I said, oh, that's going to be interesting. Let's see what they do with that. Sort of trailer blew me away. Saw the movie, blew me away. Still nothing compares to it. Um, so I went to see it. Last one I ever saw in a movie theater. Probably about two years ago. Wow. And, uh, you know, seeing movies come out now, I, I, I don't see anything that I would want to go to the movie theaters for. Drop $12, $13, $14 on a ticket to sit in a crowded movie theater, you know. And these movies coming out, the Ghostbusters remake, a possible Ocean's 8, a possible Crow reboot. I doubt I would even watch them on TV for free <laughs> with my seven ninety nine a month Netflix account. Yeah, there's That's just not enough. Not enough in it. It's all been no. done before. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's all been done before. And uh, they continue to keep doing it. So what? Now they're going to reboot Ocean's 8 again. And then probably in another eight years, they're going to reboot it again. Yes. With uh, an old Chicken. dog cat, I guess. All dogs. <laughs> <laughs> all dogs. That would actually be pretty funny. <laughs> we're running out of ideas. I mean, uh, let's get the market on that. That's what we're going to do. Yeah. Me and you are going to start remaking movies. Uh, my dog, your dog, I see a couple dogs that redo Ghostbusters, uh, Ocean's 8, uh, you name it. We'll put dogs in it. 
they could probably do it better than that Ghostbusters cast. That's what I'm going to say. It has nothing to yep. do with them being women. It just has to do with crappy, crappy, crappy cast pick. That's how I feel. Yeah. Um, it, it's sickening, man. It's sickening. All right. <laughs> Got to throw this out here, man. Today, uh, two years now uh, since we lost the uh, amazing, flawless perfection of a person in Robin Williams. Uh, cannot believe it's been two years already, man. Insane. Yeah, agreed. Um, another big surprise the day of, and, uh, you know, it goes down to suicide, although everybody has their conspiracy theories, but, um, anyway, it's like a very surprising loss, a guy who is big to a lot of people, and, uh, it hurts. It's, it's, it's a big shocker, and, uh, you know, they talk about depression. That's something very serious. It needs to be dealt with and taken seriously. And everybody kind of pulls it off like, yeah, you know, snap out of it and stuff like that. Now there's, there's more to it. Yeah, it's, you know, it's it's not that easy. You know, if people could snap out of it, there would be no such thing as suicide. There would be no such thing as antidepressants. There would be no such thing as psychiatrists. But I agree. just can't. So they need to do a better job in screening that stuff and helping people uh, deal with it. And to and you know not not just to deal with it but to be better people you know and not to be suffering from that so hopefully one day man hopefully in our lifetime we get to see that stuff um all right man we got a uh, few guests coming up here that we can talk about uh, real quick uh, Thursday August eighteenth uh, we're going to be joined by the all girl metal group out of Italy sin of night with their U S manager and a good friend to our show here at the stoop Ian Holt that'll be August eighteenth uh, which is Thursday night of next week and then August 29th as we said it moved from August 25th Thursday to August 29th Monday it's our very exclusive special a night with Lilith of Lilith and the band uh excuse me Lilith and the night from England right here we're going to be debuting their brand new EP Insanity and Lilith's going to be with us for pretty much the duration of the entire show so Make sure, make sure, make sure you tune in for that one. because That's going to be an absolutely phenomenal show. And then on September 12th, Monday, comedian Tom Rubin is going to be here. We're going to talk a lot and laugh a lot, Jeff. Really looking forward to that one, man. Yeah, uh, we've been talking for a while about getting some comedy on here outside of my comic wit. So, uh, oh. yeah. <laughs> We're going to get somebody else a chance at this. And, uh, looking forward to it. Like, like yeah. some good comedy. That's what I'm all about. I love it. Yeah, last comedian we had here in the stoop was uh, Dave Coulier, Uncle, uh, Joey from Full House. Uh, we had a blast talking with him. Uh, really, really good show, and uh, it'll be nice to have another comedian on here uh, and talk to them real soon. That's the uh, comedian Tom Rubin. Look him up. He is the anti-Tony uh, Robbins, pretty much as has he's built, you know, telling you, hey, you know what? You suffer in life and you fail in life, and uh, he does it in the comedy routine. It's absolutely funny. It's a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant routine. So check out Tom Rubin. Um, Going to be some good stuff there. Uh, let's plug our sites real quick. Uh, www.stoopradio.com. You can go on there to listen to tonight's show in its recorded format and all previous 260 plus episodes of the Stoop. And our former names of Fan Junkies Radio and 24-7 Sports Hub with some amazing guests from D.B. Sweeney and Dave Coulier to the legendary Adam Graves of the New York Rangers to so many others. Our good friend Chucky Brown, former NBA uh, you know, champion. Check it out. Check it out. Uh, some great stuff there. And also on Twitter at the Stoop Radio one and on Facebook.com slash 
Stoop Radio. Guess what, Jeff? It's about that time, my friend. Already comes so fast. Get here and uh, we have a fun for an hour plus, and then it goes. And uh, time to shave. Time to shave and get ready for uh, another day at the grind. And the weekend's coming, and then we'll be back on Monday. So uh, that's always exciting. Love coming back. Love being here. Absolutely. So we will see everybody next week. And once again, thank you to the amazing Eddie Mann for joining us tonight. You can check him out at eddieman.com. You can check out the rest of this show on stoopradio.com as well as get the link to Eddie's official website. So for my buddy Jeff Perini, I am Jonathan yep. Ragus. You all enjoy week one of the NFL preseason. We'll see you all next week. Enjoy your preseason while not being a douche. Good night.